the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. off a 70-point offensive explosion, the Miami Dolphins get ready for their biggest test of the season against the Buffalo Bills. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are gearing up for an NFC South showdown against the New Orleans Saints after tallying their first loss against the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football. And the Jacksonville Jaguars trek some 4,300 miles to London as they hope to find offense on another continent as they prepare for back-to-back games there, starting with the Atlanta Falcons. Today, Hal Habib of the Palm Beach Post, Ira Kaufman of JoeBucksFan.com, and Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union in Jacksonville join me for a discussion of each matchup. So get ready, we'll get started in just a moment. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper, and of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. To say the Miami Dolphins have been red hot is an understatement, especially after scoring the most points in an NFL game since 1966 this past weekend against the Denver Broncos. However, the Bills haven't been so bad either. They're coming off two wins over the Raiders and Commanders, where they won by a combined 75-13. to Today, we'll start with Hal Habib of the Palm Beach Post to find out if either team's defenses can slow down these video game-like offenses. Hal, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So the Dolphins here, 3-0 and after throttling the Denver Broncos this past weekend. In all your years of watching football, somewhat four decades worth, and probably more, that's, that's just working in it, have you ever seen two running backs on the same team collect eight touchdowns? No, I don't think anyone's ever seen uh, something quite like this. Maybe you'd have to go to the college or high school ranks, right? I mean, it's crazy. And and let's not forget that this was more or less Devon Achain's NFL debut. I mean, he did some spot duty a week ago, but everybody was kind of wondering, you know, what exactly do we have in Achain? And uh, yesterday, I think Dolphin fans and Broncos defenders found out in a hurry exactly what the Dolphins have in him. Um, once he gets any kind of space, not only is he really fast, him, but I've been really impressed with his decision making and trying to figure out when to make a cut, where to, uh, what hole to, uh, to attack, all kinds of things like that. He seems to have uh, great uh, awareness of of what he should do once he breaks through the line of scrimmage. And hey, let's give credit to that offensive line. I think they've done a tremendous job, not only in pass protection but run blocking. And Raheem Mostert uh, showed once again why he's one of the all-time NFL leaders in average yards per carry. Um, there's there's so much to like about what the running game is doing. In addition to what Miami's doing, you know, in the air, it's 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 like a circus. It really is. I mean, like I, I mentioned earlier, it's like watching a video game, that game that happened on Sunday. And, you know, coming into the season, that was one of the question marks, you know, were the Dolphins, why didn't they bring in a, a more veteran running back? And, you know, was Mostert and the rookie A-Chain going to work out? And boy, it sure looked like yesterday when you had both of them in there. So 
Do you think that going forward, because Mostert kind of shouldered the load, as you said, the first two games, are we going to start seeing this split up more? Because I'm sure not only fans want to know that, but, you know, people who play fantasy football are probably dying to know. Uh, They are, and my advice to them is if you have A-Chain or Mostert, don't bench them. Um, But, you know, not only that, but let's not forget that uh, pretty soon – Jeff Wilson's going to be available, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, if he's mended, uh, to come off injured reserve. And so that's another guy who you can't forget. You know, he's he's been productive uh, and, and a good running back for them. So I think the Dolphins are going to just use uh, and get the most out of every single guy. And I haven't sensed any even morsel of jealousy. I think they're... Uh, the kind of guys who are selfless and, and really enjoy seeing each other succeed. And so it seems to be sort of a perfect match. Uh, for the longest time, I've had kind of this thought that if it's running back by committee, maybe you don't have a running back. But in this case, I think they have several running backs. And also, I'll throw in Chris Brooks, the rookie. Came in yesterday, 66 yards. He looks like he's pretty good, too, and fullback Alec Engold is certainly getting the job done, uh, helping pave the way for all those guys. It's, it's a great mix. Yeah, absolutely, and Engold, one of the few fullbacks that are left in the league. Not a lot of teams utilize that position anymore, but, you know, overshadowed and or overshadowed in all of that craziness yesterday, Tua still finished with over 300 yards passing, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Here's a fun fact, Hal. So he's got 1,024 yards passing and eight touchdowns through three games. At this pace, if you stretch that out over 17 games, he will have 5,800 yards passing. So why don't you just talk about, uh, you know, Tua the lightning rod quarterback and just how incredible he's been through the first three games of the season? Well, he's been pretty much perfect. Uh, I can think of a couple of balls he threw earlier in the year where maybe uh, he was a bit fortunate that guys didn't pick it off. But overall, um, I mean, what, starting out 17 for 17 uh, against the Broncos, um, for the most part, his accuracy, you know, everybody uh, cited his accuracy coming out of Alabama, and that has very much proven to be the case on the NFL level as well. Uh, He and Mike McDaniel are just really on the same wavelength. They seem to be playing off each other's strengths like you wouldn't believe. Um, if if anyone has any questions about Tua and, and his ability to be a top quarterback in this league, I think that they're they're looking with some kind of microscope that I can't even imagine. You're you're really reaching at this point if you don't believe that Tua has what it takes to win some pretty big games in this league and lead the Dolphins. Now, he's definitely silencing the critics thus far. And I have a feeling after yesterday, Sean Payton, he's probably wondering why, why did I step back onto the sidelines? He, he probably should have stayed in the booth, but let, let's turn our attention now, Hal, to the upcoming game, because this is a big one. The Dolphins head up to Buffalo. They take on the Bills. Now, the big thing here is last time they had to play the Bills in Buffalo, it was in December. It was blistering cold. There was a blizzard. This year, it's supposed to be around 70 degrees at game time, so just beautiful. 
does that take away an advantage from a weather hardened team like the Bills? Like, do, do you think that that helps the Dolphins out some, or because the weather's nice, it's just kind of a push on either side? Well, who cares about the Bills? I, I care about not being able to, or not having to drive through a blizzard. And I think the Dolphins care about not playing in 30 degree weather. Um, <laughs> to me, it's football weather, right? I mean, fall football weather in, in Western New York. It, it'll be. Yeah, for the the whole time we're up there, it'll be like mid fifties to uh, about seventy degrees. Seems perfect to someone from South Florida. Probably seems perfect to anybody on the Dolphins. So uh, you know that's their sacrifice. Uh, it does take away an advantage, just like it would you know when the Bills come here later in the year, and it's not like it was yesterday for the Denver Broncos. So there is that. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a monstrously big game for for this early in the season. I don't know if it can get any bigger than this one, really. Now, I'm really looking forward to seeing this one. And we're going to talk about the, the spread and the over-under points, but you can imagine Vegas is betting on this being a high-scoring affair. And as you mentioned, the, the Bills will come to Miami in January. So, you know, last year when the Bills came to Miami, it was in September. It was about as hot as the surface of the sun. Stephon Diggs was throwing up in a trash can. He had players treated for heat-related illnesses. So the, the Dolphins will lose a little bit of that um, advantage, too, in January. But I think both of those teams will take it to avoid the extremes. So, you know, I, I want to talk now about Bills quarterback Josh Allen. In week one in that ugly loss to the Jets, I mean, he was just completely reckless. But in the last two games, he's got one interception and he's taken care of the ball a whole lot better. So, you know, it, the, the Dolphins have seen the Bills and Josh Allen plenty of times. So how are they game planning for the Bills' big quarterback? Um, I think in a perfect world, the Dolphins would like for this coming game to look a little bit like the past couple. And what I mean by that is Miami's defense is starting to really do well in terms of taking the ball away. Uh, maybe it's an interception. It was a freak one by Emmanuel Ogba yesterday, that's for sure. But um, not only that, uh, you see them hustling downfield and, and catching up to ball carriers and stripping the ball from behind. Uh, something that Bradley Chubb kind of maybe uh, you can credit him with starting that, that train from moving in the right direction. Uh, you know, Van Ginkle, Javon Holland, those guys are heavily involved in takeaways. So uh, in a perfect world, I think the Dolphins would love to see a Josh Allen whose ball security comes into question. There's the other Josh Allen where he plays on a Pro Bowl level. That's what we, what we normally see. And just imagine, Tim, if if Josh Allen is playing at his Pro Bowl level and Tua is playing at the same level he has throughout this season, uh, it could be a really fun matchup. Uh, maybe not so if you're a Vic Fangio or somebody, you know, coaching defense, but if you're a spectator, it could be, could be something to behold, that's for sure. Yeah, you know what? Since we're talking about how many points could be scored in this game, I'll jump ahead a couple of questions, and we'll get your prediction early. You know, the Bills, they're, they're oddly two-and-a-half-point favorites after the Dolphins score 70 points. So uh, the, the over-under, the total is 53-and-a-half points. Now, 
people would expect it to go over that, but a lot of times, you know, there are letdowns on offense because, you know, the Bills scored 35, the Dolphins scored 70. So uh, do you think that, uh, who, who do you think is going to win? And do you think they'll hammer that over? Um, my gut instinct tells me over, over, over. <laughs> but um, I also, uh, my head tells me too that, those guys in Vegas really know their stuff. They crunch numbers like you wouldn't believe, and they're right way more than they're wrong. So um, I would take that into consideration. I, I think that, um, it, you know, the Dolphins have had trouble going up there over the years. That's no secret. And they gave the Bills a game both times, you know, whether it was regular season or wild card last season. And for the spread to be only two and a half, I think says something about how nervous the odds makers might be over who's going to flat out win this game. Um, and, and the fact that Miami did so well in the wild card game, despite not having Tua, um, you know, I, I would, I, I don't think the Dolphins have any fear in getting on a plane and going up there to play Buffalo this time. And beyond that, um, just take a step back. I mean, Miami is 3-0 and right now. And we all knew going in that, you know, the three games out of four to start the regular season is a challenge for anybody, no matter where you're going. And if Miami should come out of this 4-0, and three wins on the road, setting up with a perfect record in the division and the conference, having beaten the one team that has been a nemesis in the division the past couple of years in the stadium that's been kind of a nemesis for them. You pile up all those things, and you have to say that Miami is really well set up to take on whatever comes next in the regular season. And I know the Eagles and I know the Chiefs are among the upcoming opponents and way down the road, the Cowboys as well. Those are all going to be big games. But there's an awful lot to look forward to, especially if they come out of this with an unblemished record. Yeah, it would be huge even this early in the season to get that another NFC East, or I'm sorry, AFC East win for the Dolphins over the Bills. And they already own one over the Patriots. So, you know, uh, a huge matchup. Hal, is there anything else you wanted to add before I let you go here today? Um, you know, it's, it's early. Uh, we still need to see how it's going to play out injury-wise with guys like Jalen Phillips and Jalen Waddell. A lot of Jalen's on this team, you know. Um, but I'll go out on a limb, and I'm going to say that I think Miami is going to find a way to pull this one out. The last time they won in Buffalo was Christmas Eve 2016. I think that that streak is going to uh, come to an end. All righty. Well, there you have it. The Dolphins go up to the to Buffalo and end a streak kind of similar to the way FSU went up to Clemson and ended a long streak of futility. So Hal, I really appreciate you always coming on here and sharing your knowledge. You can find all of Hal Habib's work at palmbeachpost.com. And I'm sure you post all of your stuff on social media. So where can we find you on the uh, app currently known as X? Oh, you mean Twitter? That's <laughs> the one. Uh, at, at Gunner Hal, G-U-N-N-E-R-H-A-L. Alrighty, Hal. Well, I appreciate it, and I look forward to talking with you again later in the season. Thanks a lot. 
All right, well, let's turn our attention now to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Demetrius Harvey will be heading to London later this week to fly out for the Falcons at Jags game. It will be the first of two consecutive London games for Jacksonville. Demetrius, welcome back to the podcast. And when do you fly out and when does the team fly out? Thanks for having me. And uh, I'll, I'll be flying out Thursday. Um, I don't know the exact time, nor do I want to say it probably, but also the, the team will be flying out Thursday um, afternoon. You know, they'll go through their practice and, and their meetings and all that and then fly out probably around four or five. You know, they, they have the, they have the luxury of just being on a straight shot um, charter to um, to London, I'm pretty sure. So so they'll they'll have it a, a bit easier than than us normal people. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you got some sort of layover, probably a Kennedy or something in New York. No, it's actually I have my my layover is actually in um, Charlotte, and I was kind of surprised they fly out to London from Charlotte. Apparently, they're going to end up uh, having a direct flight from Jacksonville to London, which uh, makes sense for a variety of reasons. But yeah, that'll be good. I'm sure Shad Khan is probably pushing for that, given that he owns teams in both soccer teams in London, a football team in Jacksonville, and he wants the fans traveling back and forth between those two locales. That's exactly right. Yep. All right. Well, unfortunately, we have to talk about what transpired this past weekend, where the Texans come in and just absolutely trounce the the Jaguars. Their offense has looked terrible over the past two weeks against the Texans and Chiefs. So, you know, I guess just uh, what what did the team have to say about it, and what on earth are they doing to fix what's gone wrong? Uh, I mean, uh, uh, honestly, they didn't have much to say about it. It was a failure of execution. Um, it sort of went back to last week against the chiefs where, you know, they're, they, they, they simply couldn't figure out what, what went wrong. They, they weren't able to sort of get it done. I think that this game, um, it, 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 it was sort of a, a similar one to that we saw last year where, you know, the offense couldn't get going. The defense, you know, they were going in the very, very beginning, the first few plays, and then it sort of just broke out from there. The special teams broke down. I mean, it just was a it was a painful watch for everyone involved. And I think the team sort of views it as, you know, maybe they need to reset themselves. You know, maybe they were thinking too much about what everybody else was saying. You know, this is a team that came into the um came into the year having, you know, so many accolades just thrown upon them without actually earning them, you know, top five offense, Super Bowl contenders. I mean, Peter King had them as a Super Bowl um, contender, a- AFC South or AFC championship game, the best record in the AFC. Um, and and it, it's just something like that where, you know, you have a young team, you have a team that is very online, you know, nowadays, this, this generation kind of thing where they're reading all about themselves. They're excited. They're hype. They remember last year, the, the chargers come back. I mean, all of that sort of gets to you at some point. And I think that talking about it is something that, um, they're trying to, to get rid of. They, they need to reset, you know, this week is a new one. And, and so that's sort of where they're at right now. Yeah, aside from everything you just said, could it be just as simple as the offensive line is in shambles and maybe they just don't have the proper time to work? Or how is that how has the line been? Because they've got so many issues there and they will get Cam Robinson back here in a couple of weeks. So um, you know, is that maybe the biggest problem or, or what's the biggest technically problem with this offense? Yeah, I mean partially offensive line for sure. You know, you have a offensive line that was put together um, basically in the final week of the preseason. I mean, Ben Barch didn't return to play until that final week where he played in that game um, as as the starting left guard, and they, they sort of rolled with that. You know, Walker Little 
um, had only come into the league uh, and played, you know, I think seven games total over the course of the two years he had been here before this season. So um, he wasn't able to, you know, get going necessarily as you know much as a veteran like Cam Robinson has been able to playing over, you know, sixty games or what, what whatever he's played. Um, you have a rookie right tackle, Anton Harrison, and then you have your your other two guys, Brandon Sheriff and Luke Fortner, who are dealing with ankle injuries. I know Brandon Sheriff's dealing with an ankle injury for sure. Um, Luke Fortner showed me his ankle injury pr- prior to the Chiefs game, and it did not look pretty. It was bruised up. I'm sure these guys are, are good to go, but but what I'm trying to say is more they didn't have a lot of time to get cohesive you know offensive line is one of the most important position groups in terms of that they need to be able to play together they have to be able to communicate um, and the Jaguars just simply haven't been able to do that now has that resulted in a lot of sacks not necessarily because you know Trevor's pretty good at getting the ball out of his hands um, but but what you can see if you watch every snap the Jaguars play it seems like Trevor only has that couple seconds you know that time that he actually wants to have to get rid of the ball and so when he's throwing them, he's throwing them off different angles, off different platforms. He's having to move the move in the pocket a lot. Um, you know, you know, compare that to CJ Stroud on Sunday. Uh, you know, there was that long, I forgot how many yards and went for the takedown um catch in early in the first quarter. And you could see he had, you know, all the time in the world. He was just standing there. He could have stood there for three more seconds if, if, if he really wanted to. Um, and Trevor just hasn't had that opportunity this year. So I think partially, partially just, you know, them not being cohesive. And then, you know, also just a bunch of new pieces. It's going to take some time. All right. Well, let's start looking at the game coming up here in London. Uh, the Falcons, hey, they've surpassed expectations. They're 2-1. and one. They did lose to, you know, a better Detroit Lions team this past weekend. Now, if you saw some of what happened in that game, the Lions, uh, as opposed to the first two weeks where the the Falcons ran wild with their two running backs, the Lions were really able to stifle first-round pick Bijan Robinson and his backfield mate Tyler Algeyer. So, you know, the Jaguars, they haven't really dealt with a tandem of runners this year. They, they've had enough trouble just dealing with one. So, you know, um, what does the defense do to pull this together to not only stop those guys, but pressure the quarterback more? Because they didn't really, you know, get near C.J. Stroud, who came in as the most sacked quarterback in the league uh, last week. So, you know, how do they kind of fix that and, and get that penetration inside? Yeah, they're they're gonna have to get creative. You know, they're going up against another offensive line um, this coming week that is not very good. They're, they're still a they're still a team that that sort of is trying to rebuild in, in in that area. You know, they drafted a couple guys, so they have a they have a rookie, I think, guard. Um, it, 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 it's a situation where I think that it, it doesn't really matter who the opposing team has, as we saw against the the Texans. You know, the Texans had four out of five of their offensive linemen out. Um, starting offensive lineman out for this game, and yet the Jaguars hit him, hit C.J. Stroud only four times. Three of those come from Josh Allen. So, to me, in order for them to get pressure um, against the Falcons, they're going to have to blitz a lot more. That means bringing Foyer Luikin, uh, bringing Devin Lloyd, guys like that uh, up the middle, bringing guys like Cisco and and Rayshon Jenkins off the edge as as defensive back blitzers. I think that they're just going to have to bring the house a little bit more because if if, if you know you know, how this Falcons offense seems to be set up. If they have a lot of time to set up some of their interesting, more interesting plays, uh, they're going to be able to, to, 
to break you. You know, Kyle Pitts and Drake London are still really good players uh, just because the quarterback doesn't necessarily have, you know, everything, you know, all together to to make them feature players doesn't mean that they can't do it at all. You know, we saw again, like the Texans game, uh, the Texans offense hadn't been firing on all cylinders. Yeah, they, they've been pretty good in the past game. Uh, but, you know, that seemed like the most complete game the Texans have played. And so basically the Jags can't let that happen again against Atlanta. Yeah. And I mean, when you look at, at uh, Desmond Ritter, I mean, really, he's only started seven games in the NFL. So, you know, here's a guy who doesn't, you know, he, he's basically got half a season of experience and he's still learning back there. So you would hope Josh Allen, you know, and, and, and crew can get to him. But let, let's look at the other side of the ball. You know, the Falcons defense, they actually, I mean, look, you lose 20, what was it, 20 to six, I believe, to the Lions. Only giving up two touchdowns and two field goals to the Lions, that's that's a, a decent day's work against a really good offense. Do you see, is this a defense that Trevor can break out of his slump against? Or do you think that, uh, you know, th- this defensive unit is good enough to continue doing what the Chiefs and the, and the Texans have done to the Jaguars? Oh, I mean, it's definitely good enough to do what the Chiefs and the Texans did to the Jaguars. Absolutely. I mean, if if you look at what the Texans had on Sunday, they were missing three out of five of their starting secondary players. No one on that team, in my opinion, is as good as A.J. Terrell is, um, who plays for the Falcons. You know, he's he's one of the cornerbacks on on that team, and he's he's probably one of the better corners in the league right now. Jesse Bates, the third, who came from the Bengals um, in free agency to the Falcons, is also one of the better safeties in the league. And then and then obviously you have Grady Jarrett on the defensive line. He's a guy who uh, has shown throughout his whole career that he's a very very good uh, defensive tackle pass rusher. You know, he's a guy that can get after it. He's somebody I wouldn't say is up on on the level of Chris Jones. You know, at, at this point in his career, but you know, in the past he has played at that level in spurts. So you know, he's a guy that can de- definitely. Um, you know, wreck shop, I guess, for for the Jaguars. And and, and so it, it's going to be tough. You know, I think that the Jags are really going to have to use a lot of their quick passing game again. They're going to try to get some some downfield, you know, targets. But, but at the same time, if you're going up against a secondary that has at least a couple of playmakers within it, it's going to be tough. And, and, and like you said, you know, holding the Detroit Lions to just 20 points, I mean, that's pretty impressive. I know they lost the game, but it's it's a thing where, um, you know, Detroit was playing a little bit behind, you know, they had their backup tackle out, they had their starting tackle out, and then they had um, their their starting running back out. But at the same time, it, that's still an explosive offense. And so uh, for them to hold them to just 20 is, is pretty impressive. I think that the Jags are going to have their work cut out for them uh, this week. Yeah, the last facet I'll talk about is Jaguars kicker Brandon McManus just had, you know, one of those days to forget. And, uh, you know, Gary Smith, your your reporting mate there at the Times Union, said that by the time he got down to the locker room, McManus had packed up and gotten out of town, so they didn't even get to talk to him. So what exactly happened with special teams this week, and how are they going to tighten that up? Yeah, we normally don't talk to special teams coordinator Heath Farwell during the weeks because, you know, normally special teams, it's hard to really know exactly what you even want to ask. It, it's especially if, if it's a normal week like last week against Kansas City where nothing really bad happened, nothing really great happened. So there's not really much to talk about. This week might be a little different depending on what the guys want to do. Um, I, I just think that they just broke down. You know, 
consistently on all three phases. I think that there was an issue, obviously, for that punt, that kick return, uh, the heaviest kick returner in NFL history, or heaviest you know touchdown in in NFL history, which is which is just crazy to me. Um, and and I, I I think most of that was just it was a breakdown. It was something where it was a bobbled ball. You know, people. Players are so used to everything being consistent, staying in their lanes, everything being the same thing, especially on special teams, that when something weird happens, you're going to see those big returns. I mean, we saw it in week one, I believe it was, where Jamal Agnew um, bobbled that bobbled that um, punt, and then he was able to break out and sort of go ahead and, and, and get, you know, I think it was 46 yards, and then that eventually turned into a game-winning touchdown drive for the Jaguars, so... You know, it's a situation where I think that, you know, that'll get worked out. As far as McManus is concerned, uh, yeah, he left early uh, in the locker room. The players aren't supposed to do that, but neither here nor there. Um, he just didn't have a good day. And, and we've seen that in practices before. We've seen that in training camp where he just misses one wildly. That 48-yarder to open the game up was was just – it wasn't even close. You know, you might as well not have kicked it. So I, I think that he's probably upset at himself. He's a veteran. I think he'll bounce back. He's looked good throughout the rest of the game. So – um, I don't. I think this is more of a blip for the special teams, whereas the offense and defense sort of. You've seen it now two weeks in a row. You saw it last year. Um, it's something to be concerned about. Yeah. Well, your longtime columnist mate there at the Times Union gave the Jaguars straight Fs: offense, defense, special teams, and coaching. So. Uh, you know, they need to go back to school and get some extra credit. All right, before we get to predictions, is there anything else about this game with the Falcons or being in London or anything else you want to get in front of the audience? No, yeah. I mean, th- this is a, this is a huge game for the Jaguars. It's it's probably, you know, because they have the Bills the very next week, this is probably the most important game of the season for them uh, just in the first few short weeks. Uh, it, it's kind of... It's not going to make or break, as we saw last year. You know, they can come back from down four and eight and still win the division. Uh, but I do think that the teams right now, the Titans, the Colts, the Texans, are playing at a level where it might not be as easy as everyone thought. And that's sort of how the NFL works. But, um, but yeah, going to London, it's going to be exciting. I'm excited to see what sort of unique things I can get out of, of going there. Um, you know, stay tuned, obviously, to Jacksonville.com, my Twitter account, Demetrius82. And, um, and it should be a, a pretty good week. Alrighty, we'll have some fish and chips and a pint on me. And now let's talk about predictions. Uh, Three-point favorites the Jaguars still are, so who are you going with this week and why? Yeah, I was I was grossly wrong last week. Uh, obviously, with the Texans, I had the Jaguars blowing them out. Um, I'm going to pick a close game. I do think that I still really believe in this Jaguars offense. I think that they have the potential. They have the playmakers. We've seen it. Um, so, you know, I still think that this is a game where they they should and could win. Um, but I'm going to go with, you know, more of a conservative number, maybe 21-17 Jaguars win. All righty. So it was a pretty low-scoring affair with the Broncos last year. This this one could end up looking like 10-6 to 6 or something like that. But we'll, we'll keep an eye out there, Demetrius. You can always find all of Demetrius's work at Jacksonville.com. And where, they can, where can they follow you and with your legions of fans on the app known as X? Yeah, I guess it's X now. So at Demetrius82 on, on on X, you know, what I will forever know as Twitter. All right, your X handle. That's what that's what I've been calling it with. I'll stick with that. So Demetrius, safe travels across the pond, as everyone likes to say. And we'll talk to you again real soon. All right, sounds good. Talk to you then. We round out today's podcast with a look at the surprising Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
They took their first loss against the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football, but they're still 2-1, and one, and they're in a three-way tie for first place in the NFC South. So our favorite Buccaneers reporter returns, and that's Ira Kaufman of JoeBucksFan.com. Ira, thanks again for joining me on the show. Uh, my pleasure, Tim. Um, here's my message for Buck fans everywhere, from, from here to uh, South Florida. The sky isn't falling, people. Uh, it's drooping a little, but it, but it's not falling. Tim, no shame in losing to the defending NFC champs. The Eagles are going to win a lot of games. They got a heck of a roster. They're deep. They're talented. And it's not like uh, the Bucks laid an egg against uh, an inferior opponent. Uh, Tim, there were games over the weekend. You know, uh, I'm, I'm thinking the Cowboys, uh, inexplicable uh, loss. The Jags, uh, you know, beaten by the Texans. This was the Bucks against the Eagles. It would have took a heck of an effort to beat Philly. Philly would have had to be off their game. The Bucks would have had to bring their A game. And it didn't happen. Tim, don't be fooled by the final score. Uh, it was a beatdown. You never got the feeling kind of uh, once the second quarter started that uh, the Bucks were going to win that game. But as you mentioned, 2-1 and one with a chance to be 3-1 and one with a divisional road game coming up. As Todd Bowles said today, Tim, if the Bucks end up three and one going into the bye week, uh, I don't think Buck fans have anything to complain about. No, I, I fully agree with you. And you know, what when you look at that game uh, on Monday night, and you know, I watched almost the entire thing. Um, you know, you could see that maybe the Eagles, the Dolphins, the 49ers, the Chiefs, they might be like the four teams that are kind of head and shoulders above everybody else. But then I think the Bucks, the way they're playing, kind of fit in that next tier of teams. And like you said, nothing to be ashamed about losing to the Eagles. So is my assessment of that right or wrong? And as you head into New Orleans, you know, you've got a division game, as you say. Sounds like Derek Carr uh, probably is going to miss it. So Jameis Winston gets to step in, play his old team. There might be a smattering of Taysom Hill. So just kind of dissect some of those things that I was just talking about. I think you're being a little optimistic, Tim, if you want to put the Bucks uh, maybe in the top eight or 10 uh, in this league uh, right now. We got to remember for perspective, Tim, the Vikings and the Bears, the first two opponents, uh, they're 0-6, Tim. They haven't won a game between them. The Bears are what we thought they are. Uh, they're looking at uh, three and fourteen if they're lucky. The Vikings uh, are reeling. Uh, that's a team that thrived on close games. I think they've lost three close matchups this year. Zero and three uh, close games. So that uh, shows you the difference from year to year. Now look, there's no reason the Bucks can't go to New Orleans and win this game. There's no reason the Saints. Uh, are coming off a horrific loss. Cruise control, 17 nothing in Lambeau, fourth quarter. Um, and I don't care that Derek Carr went limping to the sidelines with the shoulder injury. Uh, you got to hold that lead. Jordan Love looked like Aaron Rodgers in his prime uh, in that fourth quarter. Uh, uh, I'm not sold on the Saints. They will get a bump from uh, Alvin Kamara being back uh, for the first time this week. But he hasn't done much against the Bucks the last couple of years. They've had a good uh, handle on him. Bowles knows what he's doing uh, on defense when he uh, when he has to stop one guy. And here comes Jameis Winston. I mean, this is rich, uh, Tim. It's just rich uh, with Buck history. Look, there's there's Buck players that Jameis Winston uh, 
is going to say hello to before the game, the Levante Davids, the Will Golstons, uh, got guys that have been around that have played uh, with Jameis in, in a Buck uniform, Mike Evans, of course, Godwin. Uh, but once the game starts, uh, they're coming after him. They got to do a better job uh, overall on defense than they showed against the Eagles. I think the one thing that distressed Todd Bowles more than anything besides the lousy Buck running game, which we'll get to later, uh, which has been a constant theme for years. They tackled poorly, Tim. They tackled poorly Monday night. Every time I looked at A.J. Brown, you know, catching an eight-yard square out, and then the next thing you know, a missed tackle, and he's got another 12 yards. That drives Bowles crazy. That could happen against New Orleans with Olave. Michael Thomas is playing. We shall see. But, uh, you know, I, I like the buck chances to, to pull off uh, a road win on, on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, even looking around the NFC, you know, I, I wouldn't put them obviously in the top eight, let's say, in the NFL. But they, they definitely look like they could be one of the, you know, the seven top seven teams for playoff purposes in the NFC because it, it looks kind of like a down year. And the Vikings, I, I mean, that you know, they were a favorite and now they're 0-3. So it's just... Hey, football is football, and you look at the NFC South, you got three teams at 2-1, and one, and the winner of this game is going to come out 3-1. and one. Are you a little surprised by that? And how big would this win be for, you know, not just the Bucks, but especially Baker Mayfield, who, you know, people kind of saw as a cast-off, and he, he even played decent last night. It's just, you know, hey, the Eagles are a good team. I, I think it would be uh, a real tonic for, for the Bucks to come up with, uh, with a road division win uh, Sunday don't forget, the, the bye week's on the horizon, which, you know, that week five bye, Tim, it doesn't do the Bucks any favors. Uh, you'd much rather have it in week nine um, and uh, rest up your, your, your guys for the stretch run. Instead, they got it in week five. That's about as early as you could get it. So you want a good feeling going into your week off when, uh, you know, players scatter and coaches uh, scatter a, a bit for a couple of days. And, you know, three and one sounds a heck of a lot better than two and two. As far as the division, um, you know, Carolina's going to struggle this year with a rookie quarterback. I'm not making any aspersions on Bryce Young. He might be very good, but it's way too early to evaluate him. New Orleans, to me, is an average team. I think they're looking at eight or nine wins, maybe. And Atlanta was brought back to earth this weekend. And there's questions about Desmond Ritter. Tim, there's real questions about them. Uh, and when the Falcon running game, which is robust, and they're a run-oriented team, but when that run game gets shut down or they get behind uh, and they try to put the ball in Ritter's hands, even though he's got some weapons, I don't know. Uh, the, the jury's out on Desmond Ritter as, as the long-term answer in, in Atlanta. Uh, they want him to be a game manager. They're not asking him to do much, but 10 points just isn't going to get it done. Uh, so that was a little bit of a wake-up call for Falcon fans. Uh, they probably expected maybe to win that game, and, and instead they were kind of never in it. No, and you know we even we talked about the Falcons a little bit earlier in this podcast with Demetrius Harvey with the Times Union because that's who Jacksonville will be playing over in. Uh, London this upcoming week and you know they do they've got two very good running backs but yeah Ritter uh, you know, like you said the jury is still out and we'll have to see how that one comes up but sticking with the Bucks here I got two more questions I want to get to you mentioned the running game and you know against the Eagles they were just dismal 41 yards 
And even in the two wins, Rashad White, you know, he was, you know, mundane, did okay, what they needed to win. So do you see if the Bucks are still in it or if they go to three and one and they go into a bye week and, you know, Jonathan Taylor is out there, would you ever consider doing something crazy like that? Would they even have the trade capital to do so? Because you add a running game to this team, the defense is pretty good, Baker is okay. That, that could really turn them into a, a true contender pretty quickly. That's interesting, Tim. Uh... First question is, you know, what's the what's the asking price for for Jonathan Taylor, who's young? I mean, you know, he's he's not 29, but a lot of tread on his tires. He's not. Even last year, it was a lost season. He got hurt. I think he averaged four and a half yards a carry uh, in a bad year. Uh, and we all know what what he did in 2021 when he was the best running back in football. Interesting, uh, interesting scenario, Tim. This running game, you know, all during the offseason, I was wondering, you know, wh- why are they talking up this Rashad White like he's, uh, you know, the next Barry Sanders? Uh, I just didn't see enough out of him last year. He caught the ball well. I'll give him that. But, you know, he averaged poorly. You could blame the line. But here we go again. Here we go again. And, and the Bucks are averaging 3.1 yards a carry through three weeks. And they're going to have to do a lot better. For, for Baker Mayfield to succeed uh, over these next 14 weeks. Uh, you don't want him throwing 43 passes like Tom Brady averaged, uh, you know, over the last two or three previous seasons. You don't want that for Baker Mayfield. He's not Tom Brady. Bad things are going to happen. And they got to get this running game straightened out. I don't think they got enough on this roster. You know, Chase Edmonds, I mean, he wasn't going to be a big factor anyway. I don't think Buck fans are wringing their hands over his injury. Keyshawn Vaughn never gets a chance. Uh, Tucker, he, he doesn't show too much right now, young player. Even Todd Bowles today asked about Rashad White, said he's kind of dancing around too much. Uh, he's not taking what they're giving him. And, of course, the offensive line's got to take their fair share, Tim. They're, they're just not physical enough up front. They're just not. They're stood up uh, on first down. You're getting one yard, no yards, two yards, creating a lot of third and longs. This team's not built for that, Tim. Not many are. And uh, this running game is a real, real problem. Yeah, so we'll have to see how they're going to solve that if they try and solve it. Because with two wins now, you know, they're certainly not tanking to get the number one pick in the draft. And you would hate after a nice start to see them go two and 15. But, you know, the, the other question is, you know, what's the latest on Mike Evans? Because, again, you know, there was a lot of speculation if this team was down, they'd trade him at the trade deadline. If they're still in it, do you see them re-upping before the end of the year? Or is this thing not going to get resolved until after the year? I don't think it's in uh, the uh, interest of management, Tim, to uh, reopen the negotiations with Mike Evans uh, during the season, even if things are going well. You got to see how it plays out, Tim. You got to see. Long way to go. They're off to a good start. So the odds on uh, Evans leaving this team midseason in a deal and them thinking about the 2024 draft for a quarterback, uh, that's on the back burner right now because they've started well. Uh, we'll see what can happen. Things can go south in, in a hurry in this league. We 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 know that. Just ask Cowboy fans who, who thought uh, Dallas should be number one in the power rankings, and then they go out and uh, and play terribly. And when you play terribly, you, you can lose to anybody that's not named the Chicago Bears. Uh, let's put it like that. So Mike Evans, you know, he was coming off a couple of good games, especially 
last week against the Bears. Uh, I thought he played uh, poorly, maybe even very poorly through three quarters. Uh, made a fantastic catch, uh, scored a touchdown in, in the fourth quarter, but had a few big drops. I mean big drops. Uh, under the lights, prime time, national audience. Very atypical for Mike Evans. Decent throws by Mayfield, catchable balls, and he dropped them. Uh, I don't think it changed the game. Uh, I don't think they were going to win that game, Tim, no matter what, because they took such a beating in the trenches. But uh was not Mike Evans' uh, finest hour. And, Tim, ironically enough, what's the one team he always struggles against? The Saints. Marshawn Lattimore, he's got a history uh, of pushing Evans' buttons. He knows what he's doing. Uh, gets in Evans' head, takes his focus off football. I'm very curious to see what happens Sunday at 1 o'clock uh, Eastern in New Orleans in the Big Easy because nothing comes easy for Mike Evans against the Saints. No, I agree. I love watching that Lattimore and Mike Evans uh, battles, duels. You know, they end up in fist fights and smacking each other around. That That's a lot of fun football there. And But you're right. He does. Uh, Lattimore gets under Evans' skin much more than vice versa. But those two certainly have an interesting history. So, Ira, uh, what else haven't we talked about about this game before I let you out of here? Well, uh, there's injuries uh, uh, that are concerning to this franchise, uh, especially on defense. Kalijah Kansi, who, who I think is going to be a, a good pro, first-round pick out of Pittsburgh, defensive tackle, very quick off the ball, had a very good OTA sessions and, 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 and showed some stuff, and he's hurt. He's not playing, and I think they miss him. Uh, they certainly missed him last night. Uh, some of the holes that Swift ran behind uh, Tim uh, they were as wide as uh, Dale Mabry Highway, if you know Dale Mabry in, in Tampa. It's, uh, it's a six-lane road, uh, and some of those holes were ridiculous. And uh, you would think Cansey could help a little bit in, in the middle of that front uh, next to Vita Vea. The secondary's banged up. Tim, Colin Davis didn't play again. Toe injury. Jamal Dean uh, left. Even Izzyan, this undrafted rookie out of Rutgers, who, who's... Uh, off to a heck of a start. Uh, you know, a little, little 5'7 fire plug playing uh, uh, slot corner and, and doing a very good job. He went down. Uh, at the end of the game, Tim, they, they, they were uh, searching depth charts for throwing the, uh, you know, defensive backs out there. And Jameis Winston has to love that uh, when he reads about it. But we'll see if they can get some guys back before the bye week. I don't know. The, uh, they might be thinking about, well, don't push it, and then they'll also have a bye week, and then, you know, we'll, we'll have them fresh uh, coming off the bye week, uh, uh, you know, against, uh, I think it's Detroit the following week. We shall see. But injuries are a concern uh, on the defensive side of the ball for, for the Bucks going into New Orleans. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to watch for the actives and inactives. Once Sunday gets here, and yes, on the 15th after their bye week, they are playing the Detroit Lions. So, Ira, it is prediction time. The Bucks come into this game three-point underdogs, which usually in a close game, the home team gets those three points, so it's basically a push. Who wins this game and why? I think the Bucks win this game. I don't think the Saints have enough of a running uh, game uh, to exploit uh, the Buck rush defense, which had been very good uh, until Monday night. Uh, they don't have the offensive line that the Eagles have. And I think the Bucks will bounce back, look for Godwin to, to make some critical plays. 
Uh, maybe the running game can get on track uh, against the Saints. I'm just I'm not sold on New Orleans. I'm, I'm just not. They won some close games early in the season, uh, and then they suffered a horrific loss. That's a that's a tough loss to bounce back from. It, it, it is. Uh, now the Saints can't wait for Sunday to get the taste out of their mouth from that Green Bay debacle. But, uh, you know, Jameis will be good for a couple of giveaways, as he always is. Uh, and I think the Bucks will win the turnover margin and, and win this game, I think, by a field goal. All right. Well, when I had you on just before the opening of the season, you correctly took the Buccaneers over the Vikings. So let's see if you'll go two for two on this podcast. Ira, I really do appreciate it. You can find all of Ira's work at JoeBucksFan.com. And if people want to find you on social media, especially everybody's favorite, X, where would they find you? At iCalfman76. Tim, my pleasure. All righty. That's I-K-A-U-F-M-A-N-76. Ira, appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again soon. And that will do it for another edition of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters, and to quote George Hallis, coach of the 1940 Chicago Bears, who scored the NFL record 73 points in a game, nobody who ever gave his best regretted it. Wise words from more than eight decades ago. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time. Next time.